You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. Wait. <laughs> What are you doing, Kristen? <laughs> I'm just screwing with you, Rafer. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. Me. Yes. In each episode of Movie Therapy, we offer up questionable advice and only the finest television and movie recommendations for whatever ails you. Yes, indeed. As usual, our disclaimer, we are not real therapists. We are, however, real TV and movie critics. So, Rafer, shall we get started with our patience? Yes, our first letter comes from Helsinki Emily. Ooh, she writes, Helsinki. I know, right? Uh, she writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I am a mom of two wonderful kids, of which the younger one is only five weeks old. My dilemma does not consider the kids, but my partner. He has taken on a new super annoying habit of singing constantly when he is with our sweet baby girl. It would be okay if he would sing actual songs. But he keeps making up these short, annoying jingles and repeats them on and on. Even worse, <laughs> now our four-year-old son has started to copy his father. I feel like I live in a really, really bad musical. <laughs> My partner is Italian, and I am Finnish, and we live in Finland. So there are some cultural differences in our situation. However, his mom, who just spent three weeks with us, found the jingles just as irritating as I find them. <laughs> Could you recommend me TV shows where partners have annoying habits and they can live with them? Or even better, movies or TV shows we could watch together where partners can get rid of their irritating habits. <laughs> English is not my native language, so I'm sorry for the not very elegant text. Thank you for the excellent podcast. It makes my day every Friday. Well. Emily, number one, no need to apologize. No. You are far more literate in English than I am. So yes. good job. Yes. Uh, number two, am I your husband? Because I have this irritating <laughs> habit too. You did. Oh my God. I always sing dumb little made up songs. And you do? They only have, yeah, they only have like 12 words to each one. And my God, they're repetitive. And yeah. it's time to go to the grocery store, yeah. grocery store, grocery store. <laughs> Who wants more? 
I want more at the grocery store. Yeah. Oh, my God. Emily's already shut off the podcast. She doesn't want to listen to the rest now. <laughs> well, we've lost another listener. Uh, that And how does Dean react to that? Oh, he tolerates it. Um, <laughs> does he like it? No, he doesn't like it at all. But once in a while, I force him to sing with me. <laughs> I love it. And he'll do it? Sometimes. Once in a while. <laughs> I love it. I know it's irritating, but there's a song in my heart and sometimes it has to come out my mouth. And the song is of joy. It's not of hatred. It's not of violence. Right. It is a song of love and beauty and uh, you're beautiful and you're beautiful and you're beautiful. Let's all sing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad to hear you say that because I was thinking the exact same thing while I was reading this letter. I do that too. Oh, and you I, do? But I never did it until <laughs> my kids were born, and I and I and I did the exact same thing that uh, that Emily's uh, husband is is doing. I just I make up <laughs> dumb little ditties and I sing them to my kids. Um, some of them are based on the the conga rhythm. Do you know the conga rhythm that was like a, it was like the the craze in the 40s? The Looney Tunes cartoons used it a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm always making up stuff about that. My kids don't like that one very much, but I do it anyway. And my wife does it too, fortunately. not I don't think quite as much as I do. So, wow, I don't know. Poor poor Helsinki Emily, might she might have come to the wrong place. I don't know. What do you, so what do you think? What do you think, Kristen? What are we, what are we going to recommend to someone who clearly would be very irritated by us? <laughs> well, Helsinki, Emily, I'm going to say this. There are things my husband does that really irritate me and things that I do that really irritate him. But we kind of know which ones are worth talking about and which ones are fine just letting it go, you know? For example, I remember years ago, we saw this movie, Rafer, called Date Night with Tina Fey and yeah, Steve, Steve Carell. And yeah. one of his uh, weird tics was he always left every door and drawer open, whether it was the medicine cabinet or a drawer in the kitchen. I'm like, who does this? And then a few months later, I met Dean and he does it all the time. Every oh, that's drawer, funny. every door, always open. Always. And I don't know why. And, oh, that's funny. And at first I thought, First of all, I can't believe people do this. Who does this? And then second of all, I'm like, why do you do this? And then third of all, it's like, he's probably not going to change it. This is very minor. I can live with this. I can just shut the doors. It takes me like two seconds to shut the doors whenever I walk through a room. I shut them all. Right. It's fine. Right. Um, The more irritating things, you know, we can talk about. But it's kind of like choosing your battles. Is the drawer door really worth fighting over? No. But there might be other things that really are. Exactly. And I think you can kindly address them or set ground rules around them. So in your case, Emily, maybe the ground rules are, yeah, you can sing to the baby alone at bedtime or outside on your walks together when you're walking. But let's just... Oh, good. That's a good That's a good idea. That's a very and, good and idea. And I'm not saying to stop singing, but maybe just like set some parameters around maybe the best times to sing or the best locations. And those locations are those that you're never at. So that it's just <laughs> him and the baby. He can sing to the baby all he wants to at the playground. He can sing to the baby in the car, wherever, in the grocery store, whatnot. But <laughs> yeah, not when you're there. Just not the, when you're there. The acceptable locations are the locations that I'm not at. Is that what you said? That's pretty <laughs> yeah. good. I like that a lot. That's funny. Yes. Yeah. 
you know, you don't have to outlaw the singing. Singing is also really good for language development and cognitive development and emotional development for children. It's not a bad thing to sing to kids. And one reason why language development, people say that humans tend to get sing-songy when they talk to kids is because we know that that's a way for us to attain language and to, you know, get our vocabularies and so on. So it's not unusual to do that. And it's actually kind of good to do that. But if it's irritating you, he could do that somewhere else. That's, I think that's exactly right. That's a good, that's a good idea. Uh, and you're right about picking and choosing your battles. Uh, my wife will refill the ice cube tray with water and then put it on the top of the stack of ice cube trays. And I just feel like, why, w- why would you do that? Now, <laughs> you put it on the bottom. You put it on the bottom underneath the ones because then when you reach in to take the top ice cube tray and you crack it open, it's water. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. But I just... I, I, well, now I've said something about it here in public, but at home, I just never say anything about it. I just, I just, I gave up and I just decided what, how much, how much mental energy am I going to spend on that? How much am I going to try to, how much, how much am I going to, am I going to try to, you know, horse whisper my wife into, you know, doing this thing with the ice cube tray? Let it go. Let it go. And it's been fine. Yeah. So Kristen, what's your recommendation to Helsinki, Emily? What's your irritating, irritating recommendation? (laughs) I have to be honest with you. I'm not totally sure this is the best prescription, but it is one of my all-time favorite movies. It's the Philadelphia story from 1940. Sure. Yes. I, you know, I only vaguely remember the Philadelphia story. It's... It's Hepburn. Yes. Yes, it is. It's Catherine Hepburn. It's Cary Grant. It's Jimmy Stewart. It is Jimmy Stewart. Okay. Yes. Yes. Three of the greatest Hollywood superstars of all time. So great. So great. So here's the story. Catherine Hepburn plays Tracy Lord. She's the elder daughter of a wealthy old money Philadelphia family. And she was married to C.K. Dexter Haven, a yacht designer and member of her social set, played by the ever-charming Cary Grant. Of course. But she divorced him two years prior because, as she saw it, he fell below her standards. But according to him, the divorce happened because she was overly critical. Now, when the movie begins, Tracy is about to marry nouveau riche man of the people, George Kittredge, and journalist Mike Connor, played by Jimmy Stewart, is on the scene to cover this wedding to this new guy. The problem is, maybe a tiny part of Tracy is still in love with C.K. Dexter and vice versa. Here's a clip. Dexter, would you mind doing something for me? Anything, what? Get the heck out of here. Oh, my dear Red, I couldn't do that. That wouldn't be fair to you. You need me too much. Would you mind telling me just what it is you're hanging around for? Oh, no, no, no. Please don't go, Mr. Connor. Oh, no, no. Please don't go, Mr. Connor. As a writer, this ought to be right up your street. Don't miss a word. I never saw you looking better, Red. You're getting that fine, tawny look. Oh, we're going to talk about me, are we? Goody. It's astonishing what money can do for people. Don't you agree, Mr. Connor? Not too much, you know. Just more than enough. Now, take Tracy, for example. There's never a blow that hasn't been softened for her. Never a blow that won't be softened. As a matter of fact, it even changed her shape. She was a dumpy little thing at one time. Only as it happens, I'm not interested in myself for the moment. Not interested in yourself? You're fascinated, Red. You're far and away your favorite person in the world. Dexter, in case you don't know... Of course, Mr. Connor. She's a girl who's generous to a fault. To a fault, Mr. Connor. Uh, Except to other people's faults. She finds human imperfection unforgivable. I'm embarrassed to say that I... 
I, I can't remember this movie very well, even though I know I saw it. And I think I saw it when I was uh, very young as part of some kind of retrospective. And, but I just, I can't, I don't remember that much about it. Oh, I highly recommend rewatching it, Rayford. Yeah, I know it's like a real classic. Yeah. The writing is so snappy. It's so funny. Catherine Hepburn has never been more Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> Cary Grant has never been more Cary Grant. They are just delightful and they're ridiculous and it's screwball, it's comedy, it's romance, it's the whole thing. It's lots of fast talking. There's tons of dialogue in this thing. And the reason I'm recommending it, though, isn't just because it's a fun movie. It's because this is a movie about a woman who has high standards. She has strong opinions. She has a big personality. But when you watch it, you'll also see that this is a movie about a woman who maybe has to learn that she's too much of a perfectionist. Uh. And maybe she's a little too critical of people. And that maybe she herself is very flawed, too, in lots of ways. I'm not saying that's exactly you, Helsinki Emily, but maybe watching Katherine Hepburn's character will help you a little bit, again, with choosing your battle, seeing the good things in your husband, and then, you know, seeing a little bit of what might get on his nerves about you, too. Kristen's not saying. She's just saying. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> Let me sing it. No, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> okay. All right. This is, this is good. I've, I've got it. I'm going to add, I'm going to add that to my, uh, to my watch list, Philadelphia story. I can't, I, I again, I, I've, like I'd forgotten that I'd forgotten that Jimmy Stewart was the, was the journalist in my mind's yes. eye. I, I, yeah. All right. I, I gotta, I gotta see that. All right. But, Rafer, what about you? What are you going to prescribe to Helsinki Emily here? Well, like you, Kristen, I'm not sure this is this is quite the right movie either, but I, I do feel like I was just trying to think along the lines of a buddy comedy, because really buddy comedies are always oh, about two people yeah. who don't get along and then do. Yes. And so I was just thinking about one that I saw uh, again uh, recently with my, with my kids who both got a kick out of it. I think... I think my wife and I enjoyed it a little bit more than the kids did. Uh, but the movie is Midnight Run with Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin. Yes, yeah. a classic. The late, great Charles Grodin, who died uh, just earlier this year. And this is the movie that pretty much proved that De Niro can do comedy. Uh, and he plays <laughs> a bounty hunter named Jack Walsh. Uh, he works in L.A. And it's the usual small-time stuff, you know, nabbing these small-time crooks and turning them in for a few hundred bucks. But one day he gets this unusual job. He's got to find a guy named the Duke who stole $15 million from a Chicago mob boss, got himself arrested, and then jumped bail and disappeared. And the whole thing sounds a little fishy, but the job pays 100000 bucks. So Walsh takes it. And now he's, it's his job to go track down the Duke. And it turns out that the Duke is a guy named Jonathan Mardukas, and he's an accountant. And he's played by Charles Grodin. And if you know Charles Grodin, he's... You know, he always plays these bland, mild-mannered, slightly beleaguered, <laughs> middle-aged guys. And that's Mardukas. He's neurotic. He's got anxiety issues. He can't be around smoke. He can't fly on a plane. He gets nauseous easily. You know, he's exactly the kind of guy that Jack Walsh, bounty hunter, cannot stand and has no use for. But now the two of them are stuck together, very often literally handcuffed together, for the next five days while Jack brings the Duke back to L.A. Here's a clip. Why would you eat that? Why? Yeah, it tastes good. But it's not good for you. I'm aware of it. Well, why would you do something that you know that's not good for you? Because I don't think about it. Well, that's living in denial. Living in denial? Yeah. I'm aware of that. 
until you're aware of all your behavior, yet you continue to do things that aren't good for you. That sounds sort of foolish, don't you think so, Jack? No. Stealing $15 million from Jimmy Serrano sounds foolish. I don't think I get caught. Now, that's living in denial. I'm aware of that. Oh, so you're aware of your behavior, and yet you continue to do things that aren't good for you. Sounds kind of foolish to me, don't you think, John? It was foolish. But taking 15 million of mob money and giving it to charity was good for a lot of people. Oh, so you pissed off a mafioso killer just to be loved by a bunch of fucking strangers. That makes a lot of sense. Don't you want to be loved? Now, Rafer, I have a confession. Even though this is a classic, even though so many people I know love this movie, I have never seen Midnight Run. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not surprised. It um, it was a hit, but and I, and, it, and I think that people who, people who love it, love it, and it's considered, you know, a great movie. But I'm not surprised that you haven't seen it. It's not quite your style. Uh, it's not sort of, you know what I mean? It's not quite your genre. It's, it's, very, it's also very male. Um, you know, it's a late 80s movie. But I will tell you, it's a real treat. And it's a really good, like, old-fashioned Hollywood buddy comedy and a great supporting uh, cast. Uh, Dennis Farina plays the mob boss. Yafit Koto is this... FBI agent who's always getting screwed over by Robert De Niro. He's really fun. Joe Pantoliano is the is the head of the bounty hunter, uh, the head of the, uh, the bail bond office. And I I guess I'm recommending it to our listener because it's just one of these classic comedies about trying to come to terms with someone who annoys you. Uh, you know, Jack Walsh is one of these my way or the highway guys, and he tries to do everything he can to get. Mardukas to stop being Mardukas. You know, he yells at him, he curses at him, he punches him, he shoves him around, he won't let him talk. And finally, after the days go by, he realizes that he's stuck with this dude and he's just going to have to kind of accept him. And once he kind of accepts him, he finds out that he kind of likes him. And I'm not spoiling anything here. The two of them wind up becoming friends. It's not, you know, the largest, most profound life lesson and I wish I had something more specific to our listeners specific predicament I I don't but I do think this is a good movie about two people who are getting on each other's nerves perhaps one more than the other and who ultimately wind up accepting each other and getting along and it's also just a very fun enjoyable film Wow, that sounds like a great prescription to me, Rafer. I, th- I think it's I think it's a good one, and I was I was pleased at how well it uh, at how well it stood up. Good, 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 good. So once again, that is Midnight Run from Rafer and from me, the Philadelphia Story. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but before we do, do you need some movie therapy? Visit our website, RaferandKristen.com. Fill out the contact form. You don't have to use your real name. And while you're there, check out our prescription pad, where we list every movie and TV show we've ever prescribed. When we're back, we'll tackle a letter from someone who feels she's not being taken seriously as a boss. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. We're back with our second letter of the week. Kristen, what does our second patient have to say? All right. Well, our second patient has asked that we call her Al Lost in the Woods, and you'll understand why in a moment. (laughs) Dear Rafer and Kristen, I was hired as a supervisor in my career field six months ago. I've been working in my field for under a decade and climbed up this ladder quicker than I anticipated. My employees have lots of years of experience. Some started before I was even born and are fantastic at their jobs. One in particular, however, has made my job especially difficult because she feels I have nothing to teach her. Those are her actual words. Against my better judgment, I recently lost my cool with her, brought her into my boss's office to apologize, and then sat as she patronized me in the worst ways. It really got into my head and has discouraged me greatly. My husband says I have L. Woods syndrome because I want my team to like me so desperately, and I'm not used to having people in the workplace hate me. One can only watch Legally Blonde so many times. Any recommendations of other movies that can inspire me to press on as a leader in my workforce? Wow, that sounds pretty hard. Yeah. Now, I've not been in a uh, in a kind of management-style position, really, where I'm sort of like leading a team kind of thing. But I don't think I would ever, ever say to anyone older than me, younger than me, anyone who is in any position of authority at a, at a workplace that um, they had nothing to teach me. Yeah. I just, I, I just feel like that's an unacceptable thing to say to somebody. It's a terrible thing yeah. to say. Why would anybody say that? And, and, and guaranteed, almost guaranteed to be not true. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, it's not true. It's just mean. Meanness has no place at work. There's, uh, why be mean? You don't yeah, have to be I mean. I totally agree. Oh, God. It sounds like a tough situation. I can certainly see where that would get into your head. That's exactly the kind of thing that would get into a person's head and, and undermine your confidence and make you second guess yourself. Yeah. Um, and I can totally see that being discouraging. Yeah. And I'm just going to blame your employer here a little bit because it sounds like you haven't received proper management training. If you had proper management training that your higher ups were giving you, could be. Then these kinds of situations you would have the tools to deal with and hopefully you would learn different skills for uh you know when conflict happens when people are trying to put you down in the office when they're not taking you seriously i feel like good management training would help with all of this and uh, i hope if you're not already getting it from your higher ups that you are going to have a talk with them and say i could really use this these are the things i would like to get out of some training so that I can do my job better. You've only been at the job for six months. And so it's still early enough for you to learn all those skills now. I mean, it's never too late to learn. Even if you were in the job for six years, it's, you know, it's never too late. And I wonder, I mean, I feel like there's something else. I feel like there's something else going on with this problem employee. I feel like, I feel like there's some other dynamic here that might be going on. And, um, well, I'll get, can I go ahead and I'll, I'll get into that. Can I go ahead and, and, and say what my recommendation is for oh, L? Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, absolutely, Rafer. So I'm going to recommend Moneyball from 2011. Do you remember that? The baseball movie? I really liked Moneyball, and I did not you expect did? to. Yeah. yeah. 
I, yeah. I was really surprised. I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch a movie about statistics and baseball, but I loved it. <laughs> right. Ex- exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. Based on a true story or well, and based on a, uh, the book by Michael Lewis. Um, and like Kristen is saying, it's, it's about how this statistical method called sabermetrics began to take over the good old fashioned American pastime of baseball. And the book uses the Oakland A's, the Oakland Athletics, a 2002 season as its main example. And so in the movie, we start out with the old way of doing things. You've got this guy named Billy Bean, real character, played by Brad Pitt, used to be a professional ball player. He kind of washed out, but he's uh, smart and he's talented and, he, and he, he knows his stuff and he loves the game. And now he's the general manager of the Oakland A's. And, uh, you know, when we first see him, he's on a scouting trip, you know, a good old fashioned scouting trip. He heard about some hot young kid out in the middle of nowhere. He gets in his car, drives across country, sees if he's got what it takes, you know, because that's what that's what baseball is about. There's no substitute for your own eyes and ears. Right. And your own instincts until he meets this young guy named Peter Brand, uh, a fictionalized character played by Jonah Hill. And he's a nice, smart kid, Yale graduate, very smart. And he's got this theory that the numbers are everything. This kid has never played baseball. He's barely out of college. He's got no experience with the game. He's got no experience really in life. But his theory is, forget about your eyes and ears and your instincts. You say this player should be on first base, but the numbers say he should be on second base. You you say this guy's a great outfielder, but the numbers say he should be your shortstop. I know the guy's never played shortstop, but the numbers say shortstop. And Bean thinks this is sort of insane, but he decides what the hell Let's give it a try. Here's a clip. Billy, we got 38 home runs and 120 RBIs. Guys, you're still trying to replace Giambi. I told you we can't do it. And we can't do it. Now, what we might be able to do is recreate him. Recreate him in the aggregate. The what? Giambi's on base percentage was 477. Damon's on base, 324. And Almeida's was 291. Add that up and you get... You want me to speak? When I point at you, yeah. 1092. Divided by three. It's 364. That's what we're looking for. Three ball about? players, three ball players whose average OBP is 364. Wait a that doesn't look right, doesn't come out right. That's right, Artie. Billy, you, you gotta carry the one, right? Billy, that's just down. Yeah. Who's that? That's Pete. Does Pete really need to be here? Yes, he does. Now, no spoilers, but maybe it's a spoiler. Maybe this young kid has something to teach the older guys. He does indeed. He does indeed. (laughs) Uh, Well, and here's the other thing, though. Um, It turns out, and I I think this was was really controversial at the time, this whole idea of sabermetrics, but I think it's also been kind of widely accepted uh, also in baseball. And I mean, I I say this as someone who's completely ignorant about baseball. Uh, Baseball always seemed like statistics to me anyway, right? That's all I ever hear Mm -hmm. people talk about is statistics when they talk about baseball. It's one of the reasons I can't stand watching baseball. (laughs) But like Kristen, I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. Uh, Really great script by uh, Aaron Sorkin and uh, Steven Zalian, um, two total heavy hitter writers. And what you have here is... I think two things to remember. One is the young guy is right. He's, you know, he's got it. You've got to shake things up. You've got to shake things up and do things in a different way. But the other thing is, you know, the old, the old guys 
had a way of doing things that also worked. It did work. And in a lot of ways, the new ways kind of suck sometimes. Do you know what I mean? They, they mm-hmm. work, and it's true, and you've got to do it. But sometimes they kind of suck. They take the fun out of things. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, if you think about the old guys who are doing it the old-fashioned way with, you know, sort of mitt leather and spit and the ball and their muscles and their arms, and then here comes a guy who's got a spreadsheet. Well, the spreadsheet's better, but the spreadsheet kind of sucks. And I just think it's important maybe, and I just, I wonder if this is what's going on with this problem employee that our listener has. I wonder if it's a question of someone who is just kind of feeling like things are being taken away from them. They're, lo- they're losing things. They're, the, 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 the stuff they knew how to do that made their job fun, maybe, in a lot of ways. That some of that stuff's being taken away or it's being changed in a way that doesn't seem so fun anymore. And that's kind of important to remember that even though you probably do have the answers, they had the answers too at some point. And, you know, things, things are changing and it's hard. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm making some presumptions about what's happening in this, in this listener's workplace here. But I did think that Moneyball might be a good place to see sort of the old guard versus the new guard and how, you know, ways to handle it and ways to not handle it. I think that's a great prescription, Rafer. And I think it's true. I mean, behavioral economists, HR people, all sorts of people who've looked at the world of how human brains work, we don't like change. And when change happens, it can be scary. And especially when our ideas of, you know, a boss isn't supposed to be 20 years younger than me, a boss isn't supposed to, you know, have these fresh ideas and, a boss that's 20 years younger than me plus has these ideas that I don't know about. I, oh, that's too much change. It's too much change. So right. yeah, human beings, we tend to be quite resistant to change, even though change can be one of the best things for us. Sure. And uh, I just want to reiterate to our letter writer here, if you can get some management training, if you can read some books, if you can do things to get more confident in all of these areas, definitely do that. Ask for it from your work. If your work won't give it to you, Get those things somewhere else, even if it's just the public library. Do it. Do whatever you can. Well, on that note, Kristen, what are you going to recommend for our listener? I am going to recommend a movie that, again, I'm not sure if this is the best prescription, but I think it will help you emotionally, even if it doesn't help you with your skill set. It's called The Silence of the Lambs from 1991. The Silence of the Lambs, the horror film. Yes, perhaps you've heard yes. of it. Yes, right for <laughs> The one about the serial killer. Yes, that's right. The cannibal. Yes, that's right. That's the guy who the, about the guy who cuts people's skin off and wears it. Yes, exactly, <laughs> Rafer. That's what you should watch. Now, here's why: The Silence of the Lambs. It stars Jodie Foster as Clarice Starling. She's a very young FBI trainee who is hunting serial killer Buffalo Bill, who, as Rafer just said, uh, carves up humans and wears their skin as clothes. And in order to catch him, Clarice seeks the advice of the imprisoned Dr. Hannibal Lecter, played by Anthony Hopkins. He's a brilliant psychiatrist and uh, also happens to be a cannibalistic serial killer. Anywho, Hannibal Lecter agrees to help Clarice, but only if she agrees to a quid pro quo sort of arrangement, specifically in order to receive his clues about Buffalo Bill she must share personal information about her traumatic childhood because he's sadistic and curious and, you know, he, he, he is exactly who you think he is. Of course, things go well only so long and then they don't because Hannibal doesn't always play fair. Here's a clip. Good morning. Dr. Lecter, my name is Clarice Starling. May I speak with you? 
You're one of Jack Crawford's, aren't you? I am, yes. May I see your credentials? Certainly. Closer, please. Closer. That expires in one week. You're not real FBI, are you? I'm still in training at the Academy. Jack Crawford sent a trainee to me. Yes, I'm a student. I'm here to learn from you. Maybe you can decide for yourself whether or not I'm qualified enough to do that. Mm -hmm. That is rather slippery of you, Agents Darling. Worst management seminar ever. <laughs> Kristen, you got to explain this. You got to explain this one. Well, letter writer, I think you're a lot like Clarice. I think you're young. I think a lot of people are underestimating you. Pretty much everybody around you, your bosses, your colleagues, maybe if there's a cannibal in your office, they're probably underestimating you too. <laughs> but I want to say, despite being underestimated, Clarice manages to do her job well. And she does that by playing the game she has to play and playing it carefully. She figures out what the rules are. She does her research. She knows how much of a social distance to maintain with people in order to keep things professional. She knows how much of herself to give away and how much to keep close to the vest. And I think that you can learn from Clarice's methods here. You don't have to be friends with everybody. Clarice is not friends with everybody. It's very clear by the end of the movie, even if she seems as if she's being intimate with some of the people in this movie, it's clear by the end, no, her job comes first and she's going to do her job right. And I think you can do the same thing. You, you let a writer have it in you to be Clarice. You can be that strong person who's underestimated and then blows everybody away. And yes, you'll make some mistakes in the beginning and maybe you'll be played the wrong way in the beginning, but eventually you'll get the hang of it and you'll come out the hero in the end. You'll be just like Clarice. Kristen, I'm going to call that a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> silence of the lambs <laughs> look my hat's off to you my hat's off to you for choosing that you know it's been a while since we prescribed a <laughs> horrific movie for an everyday event you know it was time and listen it's also possible that the thing to do with your coworker is just shoot him right in the head <laughs> in the dungeon <laughs> It may be the case that the best thing here to do is make a skin suit out of your boss. I don't know. I'm not saying. <laughs> oh, I knew I had something to teach you. All right. Okay, so our recommendations are from Kristen, Silence of the Lambs, and from me, the far tamer, Moneyball. <laughs> All right. We're going to take another quick break. But before we do, thank you, everybody, giving us those five stars in Apple Podcasts. And thank you, people who are reviewing us. For example, Happy in New Hampshire recently gave us five stars and wrote, Prescription. Listen immediately and you'll feel better. I absolutely adore this podcast. It's smart, funny, and helps me decide on good content to consume in a world full of too many options of bad entertainment. Oh, I'm so glad. Thanks, Happy in New Hampshire. I hope we've contributed to your happiness. Thank you indeed. Thank you so much. And everyone stay with us when we're back. We have our What Should I Watch Next Letter of the Week.
Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. We're back with our What Should I Watch Next letter of the week. Rafer, who do we have this week and what do they want help with? This person is called M. And M says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I swear I'm not a creep. (laughs) That's a great opening. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm a big fan of shows that follow the lives of creeps in a way where we're supposed to empathize with them. Think The Sopranos, You, Dexter, pretty much any show where the lead is a stalker, gangster, killer, (laughs) or other bad guy with some charm. If you haven't deleted this email yet, please tell me, what should I watch next? Well, surprise, surprise. I am just like M. I love these kinds of shows, too. Totally. Totally. I loved you, season one and season two. I devoured each of the seasons in a weekend. I, I'm all about it. I love cheering for a bad guy. Sure. I love, that's why I loved uh, I Care A Lot, starring Rosamund Pike, which not everybody liked. Yes, that's right. She's detestable in it. And of course, I loved watching her and her charms and, and her deception. I loved it. I love watching this kind of stuff. I'm super into it, Em. I am not creeped out by you. And I, I believe you when you say you're not a creep. I believe no. you. No, I no, I think that's I think that's exactly right. I, I watched a few Dexters. I kind of got a kick out of the Dexters. Oh, it's so fun! I, I just watched a handful of them. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a, it's a, uh, uh, a daring a daring premise for a show. Yeah, what's not to love? I'm cheering for a murderer. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I guess that's sort of that's in some ways kind of the new TV, right? I mean, uh, uh, Breaking Bad, Better Call oh, yeah. Saul, Sons yeah. of Anarchy. I mean, anyone who's sort of a bad guy, uh, that's the bad guys, the new good guys, I guess, in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So, Rafer, what are we going to prescribe that uh, focuses on a creep that we cheer for for M here? M needs more of this stuff. Well, I'm going to choose one of my favorite movies, uh, The Talented Mr. Ripley with Matt Damon. I love this movie so much. I love this movie. It is so beautiful. It is so funny. It is so naughty. It is so clever. Yes. And everybody's despicable, and it's hard not to cheer for them. Totally. Oh, my God. And I just got to say, shout out to Philip Seymour Hoffman in this movie. Yes. He's not on the screen that long, but my God, he's amazing in this movie. But I'll let you explain, Rafer, for anybody who doesn't know what it's about. Well, all right. So this is the story of a guy named Tom Ripley. Um, We don't really know much about him. I'm not sure we ever learned that much about him in this movie. The movie opens with him playing piano at a fancy party. He's wearing his Princeton jacket. It's the kind of thing young men do in the 1950s, uh, just, you know, tickling the ivories. And this leads to a conversation with a wealthy businessman who's just positive that Tom must have gone to school with his son. And Tom says, you know, well, of course. And, uh, you know, and then when Tom leaves the party, he takes off the jacket, which isn't his. 
goes to the hotel bathroom where he actually works as an attendant. Tom is a nobody. He's not part of this crowd at all, but he desperately wants to be. And now he's got an in with the Greenleaf family and their crowd. And the next thing you know, he's hanging out on the coast of Italy with all of them. There's handsome young Dickie Greenleaf, played by Jude Law, and his gorgeous girlfriend Marge, played by Gwyneth Paltrow. And, as Kristen said, Philip Seymour Hoffman is a guy named Freddie Miles. And little by little, Tom starts to kind of turn himself into Dickie Greenleaf. He kind of swipes his clothes and maybe seems to be wooing his girlfriend a little bit. Or maybe he's wooing Dickie himself a little bit. Kind of hard to say. But uh, you can't fully take over someone's life if that person is around. Meaning, if that person is living. Here's a clip. How did you find him? Such an out-of-the-way apartment. Can I fix you a drink? No, thanks. The American Express. Some kid. Are you living here? No, no. I'm staying here for a few days. Mm a new piano. Probably shouldn't. Probably shouldn't. Uh... Did this place come furnished? It doesn't look like Dickie. It's, uh, it's really horrible, <laughs> isn't it? It's so, uh, bourgeois. It's so delicious, Reefer. Oh, completely. Um, I really think it it might be Matt Damon's best performance. Uh, Jude Law is amazing in it. That was, I'm pretty sure, the first place I'd ever seen Philip Seymour Hoffman, or at least was aware that I'd seen him because I just remember thinking, "Who is that guy?" And I remember I remember this line that he delivers uh, when he kind of catches Tom in the act and says, oh, "You're a quick study, aren't you?" And I've just, I've <laughs> never forgotten that line. There's something about the way that Philip Seymour Hoffman said that that made me feel like he was speaking to me. And I felt like I was, I felt like I was going to drop my martini glass and like flee. <laughs> um, God, he's just so good. Anyway, you know, Tom Ripley is a character invented by Patricia Highsmith, the novelist. And there's been actually, I think she wrote three three, possibly four, but she wrote a series of Tom Ripley novels. And, mm-hmm. and, and some of the other ones have been made into movies n- with not that much success. Did you know Dennis Hopper played, played Tom Ripley in one of the movies? What? I, I know. I didn't know that either until I started Whoa. doing some research. You can kind of see it. But um, this, is, this is great. The other little s- uh, sort of uh, bonus prescription I'll mention is the original 1960 version um, with Alain Delon in the Matt Damon role uh, called Purple Noon, which is also a fantastic movie, especially because it was, it's from 1960, so it it has like the real authentic Euro trash jet set look, like it, it's the actual real thing, and uh, but I still would I still would go for the 1999 Talented Mr. Ripley version any day. To me, it's a much better just richer, much more alluring movie. And I think, you know, that character is one of the great creeps of the cinema, if you ask me. Oh, yeah. A creep you want to cheer for. I'm glad glad you agree. I'm glad you agree. So good, Rafer. So So good. Kristen, I'm dying to know, 
I'm dying to know what you're going to recommend. All right. I am going to recommend a movie called Thank You for Smoking from 2005. Sure. With uh, Aaron Eckhart. (laughs) Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, Thank You for Smoking is a comedy written and directed by Jason Reitman. And as you already said, it stars Aaron Eckhart. He plays Nick Naylor. He's a big tobacco spokesman. He uses research from an institution that uh, he also happens to be the vice president of to, to prove that there is no link between tobacco and lung disease. And as anti-tobacco campaigns mount and numbers of young smokers decline, Nick's boss sends him to Los Angeles to bargain for cigarette product placement in some upcoming movies. Nick takes along his young son, Joey, on the trip in hopes of bonding with him. And that's when things get really interesting. Here's a clip. How on earth would Big Tobacco profit off of the loss of this young man? Now, I hate to think in such callous terms, but if anything, we'd be losing a customer. It's not only our hope, it's in our best interest to keep Robin alive and smoking. That's ludicrous. Let me tell you something, Joan, and please let me share something with the fine, concerned people in the audience today. The Ron Goodies of this world want the Robin Willigers to die. What? You know why? So that their budgets will go up. This is nothing less than trafficking in human misery. And you, sir, ought to be ashamed of yourself. I ought to be ashamed of myself. As a matter of fact, we're about to launch a $50 million campaign aimed at persuading kids not to smoke. Because I think that we can all agree that there is nothing more important than America's children. All right, now that's something that we're going to want to know more about. But I have to take a short break. Hang on, a lot more coming. And everyone's a creep in this movie, oh, right? Oh, yes. Oh, Everyone's horrible. The journalist. Yes. <laughs> Everybody. And let's not forget that Thank You for Smoking, it's not just about Nick and his lobbying for tobacco. He also is friends with firearms lobbyist Bobby J. Bliss and alcohol yes. lobbyist Pauly Bailey. And, That's right. And the three meet every week and they call themselves the Merchants of Death, a.k.a. the Mod Squad. That's right. So, yes. yeah, it's not... <laughs> just that Nick Naylor's terrible. It's all his friends are are terrible. Everybody's terrible in this movie. And yet delightful. And so hard not to just cheer for him and be like, yeah, Nick, make that tobacco product placement happen. That's right. Make that happen. (laughs) Do it. And I I think what I remember being a little bit uh, surprised about by this movie was uh, there's no learning and growing. No, and that's what's so fun about it. You're all terrible. (laughs) And in the end, I'm standing up and cheering because you're still terrible. You started terrible. You're just as terrible. Yes. Totally. Totally. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of good lines in that movie. I'll buy him his first pack. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's a good choice. That is a good choice. That's good, Kristen. It's such good fun. It really is. I think you'll be charmed and delighted by these just awful people. You will. They're all creeps and uh, not as highbrow as the talented Mr. Ripley. I'm just going to say that. It's just a rollicking good laugh. It to- No, it totally is. Uh, <laughs> look, I think those are two very good, very good, uh, creepy, objectionable films to recommend. Uh, from Kristen, <laughs> thank you for smoking. And from me, the talented Mr. Ripley. <laughs> and Rafer, I guess that's it for this episode of Movie Therapy. That was so fast, Kristen. It was faster than making a skin suit in my basement. <laughs> it sure was. <laughs> Because that takes days. (laughs) That takes days. (laughs) 
But that doesn't mean the conversation is over, folks. You can still join us on our Facebook community. That's facebook.com slash groups slash Rafer and Kristen. Thank you to everybody who wrote in this week. We so appreciate it. And thanks also to the Airwave Media Podcast Network, which we're a part of. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like Food with Mark Bittman and The Projection Booth. Until next time, I am Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Welcome to the future in this year's wildest super fun show for adults. Hey, gang, it's Josh Olson. And Joe Dante. And we want to tell you about our podcast. It's about movies. Josh, there are a thousand podcasts about movies. Sure, but ours is different, Joe. That's true, actually. Our guests are writers, directors, musicians, comedians, actors. Hell, we even have other podcasters on. We play no favorites, and they don't talk so much about their own work but about the movies that have influenced them and made them who they are. We call it the movies that made me. We've talked with people like Guillermo del Toro, Little Stevie Van Zandt, Martin Short, Ethan Hawke, William Freakin, Barbara Crampton, Jonathan Ross, Dennis Lehane, Mark Duplass, Adam McKay, Lorraine Newman, Jason Reitman, Alison Anders, Elijah Wood, Stephen Canales, Eli Roth, Joe Bob Briggs, Roger Corman, Bobcat Goldthwait, Leon Douglas, Dana Gould, Martin Campbell, Shane Black, Albert Hughes, Emily Deschanel, Joe Biafra, Larry Fessenden, Nicole Hawkson, Shaka King, Lee Daniels, Rosalind Chow, Clancy Brown, Yardley Smith, Ike Barron, Steve Arkett, Michael Jenkins, and Uwe Boll. It may not be highbrow, but it's lots of fun. Subscribe for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. In color to thrill you as never before. Yeah, Film Vault. We are one of the original film podcasts. That can't be true. There was like two other film podcasts when we began, Brian. How long have we been doing this show? You and I first sat down and did a version of the show over 20 years ago. My God. Two episodes each week. One. We review movies and the first episode and the second one. Different top five every week. Movies that made you cry. Worst movie accents. Most disturbing movies. All right, The Film Vault. Check it out. Wherever you find a fine podcast. That's right. The Film Vault. Going on 20 plus years.